Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. What a great joy and honor it is to get to be with you today. Like Mr. Rebecca shared at the beginning of our service today, um, a team from uh, here at Coleman First Baptist, a couple of teams just got back from Southeast Asia and New York City. And I just wanted to share a couple things with you guys this morning before we get started uh, about our trip. Uh, we led a team to New York City. We just got back uh, on Friday evening. And I just want to say that, church, you are so blessed to have uh, such a great group of people leading and serving. Uh, they did so well. I was so proud of the hard work and the efforts. Uh, no complaining. We walked a lot of miles. And honestly, we saw God move like the moment we got there. So uh, without naming any names, there was a certain member of our team that uh, left his backpack on the bus in New York City at the first stop. And you know how crazy that is. Like, it's gone and so we're trying to figure out what bus we were on and all this stuff. Well, we had given up, and he's like, don't worry, let's just go. It only, it only has, you know, nothing important. Turns out there's like a laptop and work and business and money. And so we're getting ready to leave, and here comes this transit bus driver walking up and says, hey, you look like you're looking for something. A friend of mine that drives a bus just called and said someone left a bag on his bus, wanting to know where, who, where it belongs. So we praise the Lord for that. We actually got to spend last Sunday in worship at All Nations Baptist Church uh, for their um, honoring Israel service. So we got to sing in Hebrew and experience worship with a lot of uh, ancient uh, Israelite uh, hymns. And we got to worship with some uh, Jewish people. And it was just such a great uh, experience. Uh, the majority of our ministry that took place there was focused on two different things. Uh, we mainly spent much of our time in Queens in New York City in two different neighborhoods. Kind of the inroad for the gospel there was something they called ESL, English as Secondary Language Classes. So they offered free English uh, there to all of the uh, immigrants who lived there as kind of a way to get them in, to draw them in. So we spent most of our efforts focused on either handing out flyers and uh, advertising for the ESL classes, actually helping lead and teach some of those classes. And then we did some great ministry in a couple of the parks there working with a lot of the different kids. And man, I just tell you, you guys, I just want to take a moment and honor our team and say thank you. You guys were awesome, and I praise the Lord uh, for you. So if you've got your Bibles today, and I hope that you do, we open up to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. The book of Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to spend just a few moments here uh, together this morning. I'm calling this message, A Father at Home. A Father at Home. Mark Twain once said that when I was a boy of 14, my dad was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. By the time I turned 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. In 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson named the third Sunday in June as Father's Day. It wasn't until 1972 that Richard Nixon made it a federal holiday, and Father's Day is now a $12 billion industry. That's not bad compared to the $20 billion spent on Mother's Day each year. <laughs> I found a study from the late 1990s, and you're going to know why in just a moment, that showed Mother's Day as the busiest day of the year for phone calls. The funny thing is, is that Father's Day was the busiest day of the year for collect phone calls. <laughs> Some of you may not know what collect calls were. 1-800-COLLECT, and you got to pay the bill. <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is the word of God. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we are before you. We are so thankful to be in your presence. Oh God, I pray in these few moments that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. Lord God, that you would teach us from your word. Oh Father, that you would draw us to yourself. God, that we would lean in, that we would set our mind's attention and our heart's affection on you. God, that we may experience your fullness. Lord, that we may know your goodness. That we may be able to demonstrate your love to those around us. That we would leave here encouraged, renewed, and challenged to be better servants of you for the kingdom of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we see uh, this prayer, if you will, is the second prayer that he offers here. And in chapter one, when we see it where it says to the saints at Ephesus or in Ephesus, in many of the ancient manuscripts, the words in Ephesus or at Ephesus are actually left out. So many scholars believe that this was perhaps a letter that Paul wrote, maybe directly to the Ephesian church, but most likely a letter that would have been passed around from city to city to city for all of the saints. And so most certainly it's very applicational to us today. And in Paul's first prayer in chapter one, he's praying that their eyes would be enlightened, that they would understand all the mysteries and the wisdom and the knowledge of the kingdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very important to know and understand what Christ has done for them, how their sins can be forgiven, how they might have hope for eternal life. But here, he's talking more along the lines of experience. He wants them to have empowerment and enablement through understanding these mysteries. It's kind of like a person who owns a really fine automobile. Now, you may, this person may know all the intricate details, all the ins and outs of this car or truck or really nice automobile. They may can tell you how the engine runs, what size motor's in there, what the color of the paint is, how many RPMs or horsepower it may have. They may be able to tell you all about this car, but if they leave it sitting in their garage and they never drive it, they fail to experience the fullness of what the car was created and designed to do. Likewise, someone could not know very much at all about the car or the details or how many uh, horsepower it has or what size motor it has. They may not know very much at all about the car, but if they get in it and drive it regularly, then they will also experience the fullness and the power and all that the car has to offer. This is the way of the person whose mind is filled with lots of knowledge about God, but fails to experience him in the way that he desires to be experienced by his people. The Bible says that these people have a form of godliness but deny its power. Paul warns us in Timothy to turn away from such people. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. 
The great thing for you and I this morning is that regardless of what our upbringing was, regardless of what our home life was like, regardless of what situations or circumstances we grew up in, the reality is that today, you and I, every person in this room can say that we have a father who desperately loves us. When Jesus introduced the model prayer to his disciples of our father who art in heaven, this was kind of a new concept. For many of the ancient Israelites, they did not view God as father in this intimate sense. They often referred to him in the Old Testament in broad generalizations, and all the references to father were to him as the father of the nation of Israel. They didn't refer to him as father. They often called him Adonai, meaning master or ruler, or they would also call him El Shaddai, which meant mighty God. In fact, the name of God was so holy to ancient Israelites that they felt like even speaking it would defile his name. So what they did was they removed all of the vowels from the name of God and left only the consonants Y-H-W-H. This is where we get the name Yahweh from. This is where we would see uh, his name today written. Many would even frequently refer to God as Hashim or simply the name. And so here we see this great truth and promise for you and for me that we have a heavenly father that desperately desires love for us, to know us, to walk more closely with him. And the reality is that it would probably be beneficial for us in 2021 to have a little bit more of a holy and transcendent view of God. But it's also of utmost importance to our witness and to our everyday lives to know him as father. Brandon read a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Our God is a good father who desires to give us his best. Matthew 7 said this, Jesus said, what man among you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We know today that the greatest thing that our God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ, is himself. For you and for me, the opportunity to have an ex, uh, a relational experience with Almighty God, to be connected with the Creator, the most powerful being in all the universe, to have the opportunity to experience Him and have Him dwell within us on a day-to-day basis is the best that He has to offer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Just as it's vitally important for us to view God as our personal heavenly father, it's also equally important for us to see the people of the world around us as God's dearly loved children. In spite our differences, maybe in beliefs or ethnicity, religion, or even political affiliation. This is why, and Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you heard it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. We could all agree that racism is sinful and regarding the value of oneself above any other is a result of arrogance and pride. Who among us got to choose our last name? Who among us got to pick our ethnicity or to where we would be born? Who among us got to choose the families to which we would come to the earth? Most certainly, 
We are very blessed to be here in the United States of America. We're very blessed to be born here in a place. If you grew up in a Christian home or you had a dad that loved you and that tried to demonstrate God's love to you and you've grown up hearing the gospel, man, you don't realize how blessed you are. This week in New York City, if I learned anything, it's that we are so blessed. But also, if God taught me anything while we were there, it's that we have to, uh, we have to look uh, at people from other places and other ethnicities and other religions. We have to be able to understand them. We have to be able to love them, to value them. The reality is that there are people that do not believe the way that we do. There are people that have different religions and different cultural ethnicities and different backgrounds. And the reality is if we're going to reach them with the gospel, it's going to be through love. William Lloyd Garrison, a famous champion in the United States for emancipation uh, and civil rights in the early in the 1800s, presented a Declaration of Sentiments adopted by the Peace Convention in Boston in 1838. I want to read you this. It could be very shocking. We, the undersigned, regard it as due to ourselves, to the cause which we love, to the country in which we live, to publish a declaration expressive of the purposes we aim to accomplish and the measures we shall adopt to carry forward the work of peaceful, universal reformation. We do not acknowledge allegiance to any human government. We recognize but one king and lawgiver, one judge and ruler of mankind. Our country is the world. Our countrymen are all mankind. We love the land of our nativity only as we love all other lands. The interests and rights of American citizens are not dearer to us than those of the whole human race. If God taught me anything this week in New York, it's that if we're going to reach the nations with the gospel, then we must love them. We must offer genuine understanding of their culture and their religion. We must pray for the Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation. We would never reach the nations with narrow-minded patriotism. We would not see people come to know Christ through condemnation and judgment of religious practices that are simply a result of their cultural upbringing. We must speak the truth in love, and we must remember that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he died for the nations, the Gentiles, the pagan idolaters, the radical Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus, even those of different political affiliation are dearly loved children of God. For he does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. While we were in New York City, we had the great opportunity of going into these neighborhoods in Queens, two different neighborhoods we had our focus on. And one of the neighborhoods within a five square block radius, there were 100,000 people who lived there. And all of the high-rise apartment complexes were labeled on each side according to ethnicity. You had Brazilians and Tibetans, you had Indians, you had people from Trinidad, you had people from Africa. There were so many different races and ethnicities right there in that little square block that we were ministering to. And one day we were passing out the little flyers for the ESL classes, and I had an opportunity to speak to this lady. I gave her the thing, and she looked at me, and she said, I've almost got a master's in English. What do I need to come to this for? I said, well, that's great. Maybe you can help them, you know? And I got to asking her, you know, like, you know, tell me, you know, where are you from? She was from Trinidad. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about your faith. What do you believe about God? And she said, oh, I'm Hindu. I'm sure you probably don't know much about that. And I began to talk with her and draw connections with her about what I knew of the Hindu faith, 
about what I knew of her beliefs and what, how my beliefs were, were different but similar in some ways. And I tried to draw some parallels to the gospel and help her see how Jesus is the son of God, that he came to the earth to ultimately pay for our sin, that we might have an eternal relationship with God, an assurance of our eternal salvation, not just a hope that one day we might be reborn into a better life or that one day we might be absorbed into God. And she was so astonished. She looked at me and she said, can I take your picture? And I'm wearing like my basketball jersey and you know, like my pants. And I'm like, sure, you know, like what's up? And she's like, I have never met a white man that knew anything about Hindu. And it touched her that I understood what she believed. And it touched her that I was able to relate to her beliefs and did not offer condemnation and judgment, but presented her with love and the truth of the gospel. Now, I pray, her name is Gita, and I pray that Miss Gita comes and shows up to ESL and she hears the gospel, and I pray that one day I will see her again in heaven. But most certainly, the experience in New York City this week taught me that so many times in our life, that we become so narrow-minded that we fail to understand where other people are coming from. Just because someone believes different from us, just because someone had a different upbringing or a different background from us, we close off to them. We maybe don't understand, so we just simply put up walls. We say things like, oh, I can never go there. I can never do that. I can never say that. And the truth is, if the nations are gonna be reached, if the Great Commission is gonna be fulfilled, it's gonna be through love. It's going to be through acceptance. It's going to be through the truth in love. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Verse 16. I pray that he might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit and the inner man. Now, think with me for a second how great it must be You remember the parable that Jesus told or when he was standing in the temple and he saw the rich man come and he gave a really large sum, but it was just out of the abundance of his wealth. But he saw the poor widow come and drop in two little coins that was literally everything she had to live on. And he said, she has given, she is the one that has given of everything sacrificially. Think of how great it must be for the God of the universe, the holy creator, the king of kings, if he is granting us, if he is giving us according to the riches of his glory, There's no limit to what God can do in our lives. There's no limit to the amount of blessing he can bestow upon us. Not physical blessing or material wealth or things of that nature, while that may be part of it, but the reality is that God wants to give us so much more. He wants us to experience his power and his goodness. He wants us to experience his spirit, and he wants us to experience the the work of building the kingdom, of transforming people into the image of Christ. And so here we see the beauty of, the, of God's grace and mercy. Here we see the beauty that he gives us according to his riches and glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The true battle for a man or woman is not found outside the exterior forces of action or inaction, but it lies within oneself, within the mind, the senses, the will, the ego. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man shall reap what he sows. Pastor Tom often says that sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was so focused 
on the intent of the heart of man as opposed to simply just the action. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It didn't matter to him that one was unable to simply keep himself from committing adultery. If that person had been burning with lust in his heart for another woman, he was producing the same result within the inner man. Now, this is a difficult thing because the reality is that while all of us can see what's going on on the exterior of our lives, all of us can see how other people live exteriorly or materialistically or whatnot, it's very difficult for us to measure the heart. It's very difficult for me to look at you and see what's going on in your heart. The reality is that every single one of us have to make these observations for ourselves. Every single one of us have to challenge at home in our hearts until our inner person submits to the strengthening of his spirit. Until the spirit controls our lives, Jesus Christ cannot be comfortable there, but only stays like a tolerated visitor. Paul's teaching here does not relate to the fact of Jesus' presence in the heart of the believers, but to the quality of his presence. Every single one of us in this room, blood-bought, born-again believers, have received the Holy Spirit of God into our lives. He does dwell within us, but is he comfortable in your heart? Is he at home with you? Does he feel like a tolerated visitor? If anyone loves me, Jesus said in John 14, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That he may dwell in your hearts through faith. We know that it's only by faith that we can achieve this. It's only through faith that we can have uh, this eternal life and this hope and this uh, power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's the pursuit of every Christian. That's the pursuit of every believer. It's a pursuit of God on a daily basis. It's a pursuit of him moment by moment, hour by hour, just constantly being aware of his presence and knowing that everything that funnels and filters through our lives is before him. Everything that we watch on television, he's there with us. Everything that we say and we do with our bodies, he is there experiencing that with us. And so for you and for me, this is challenging for me because I know for so many times in my life, I focus so much on the, this, the physical action. If I can just avoid cussing, if I can just avoid this habit, if I can just not do that thing, that, oh, man, I'm doing great. But the reality is, is it's a much deeper issue. You see, just like, just like for, uh, for, for, for me in my life and for you in your life, it's not just enough, like Jesus said, it's not just enough to avoid it. He says, hey, look, if you, you can say thou shalt not murder, that's great if you don't kill anyone, but if you have anger or resentment or bitterness in your heart towards your brother, it's the same seed, it's the same fruit, it does the same thing to our heart. I pray that you being rooted may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. This is what the result of this type of living is. Rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend, to understand with all the saints, all the believers, you're a saint this morning, church, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses all understanding so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the intent of Paul to this letter to the Ephesians. That's the intent of this sermon this morning. That's the intent for my life. Whatever, there, whatever your experience with God is today, there's more. Whatever you know about God today, there's more. 
Whatever you've seen him do in your life up to this point, there's more. And for me, I want to develop a hunger. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I need God every single moment of every single day. And I want to experience all the fullness that he has to offer in this life. And it takes, it's kind of like the person drowning in the sea. For the person drowning in the sea, they're being tossed wave after wave, head over. If you've ever been in the ocean and it's been real rough and you got flipped by a wave, you know what I'm talking about. It's rough and you wonder, am I going to make it? Am I ever going to come back up? And in that moment, when you finally get up, the first thing you want to do more than anything else in the world is (gasps) breathe. And church, whenever we desire God's presence the way that a drowning man desires breath, then we will experience the fullness of God. One in four children in the U.S. grow up without their father or a father figure in the home. That's over 18 million kids with no dad. According to a study done by the U.S. Department of Justice, these children make up 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homelessness and runaway youth, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 75% of adolescents in substance abuse centers. Even children from low-income, two-parent families outperform students from high-income, single-parent homes, two to one. Young men who grow up in homes without a father are twice as likely to end up in jail as those who come from two parent families. Dads, can't you see how important our role is? You know, I've walked with the Lord. I got saved when I was 10 years old. I've experienced God's goodness. I've experienced his grace more than I can sit here and tell you today. He's forgiven me of more than I would ever want to share. And the reality, as much as I knew him, as much as I've walked with him, the moment, the very moment I held my little boy for the first time in my hands, I experienced his love in a way that I never felt. The wave of emotion that comes over, you understand and realize what unconditional love truly is. There's nothing that my son would ever do that would make me not love him. There's nothing that my little boy could ever say or could ever do or act that would make me not claim him or him not be mine. Now, some days I think he might grow up and be a terrorist. I ain't gonna lie. (laughs) But dads in the room, you know what I'm talking about. The love of a dad for a child, a mom for a child. Such a great image, a great picture of God's love for us. And as sad and staggering as these numbers and statistics are, as pointing as they are to the necessity of our earthly fathers, just imagine with me for a moment how much more impactful each of our lives would be if we lived each day in recognition and submission to our father who desperately wants to live at home with us in our hearts. He's demonstrated his great love for us by the sacrifice of his son. And through his resurrection, we might attain the promise of everlasting life. But our God, he's a fine gentleman who will not dwell, who will not go where he's not welcome. Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith this morning. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long, long time. Maybe today you're here and you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation through faith. May today be the day of salvation for you. 
No matter where you find yourself in the journey today, I pray that you will give yourself an honest evaluation, that you will allow the Holy Spirit of God to look deep into your heart, into the very being of your inner man, and to, to, to reveal to you attitudes, a mentality, maybe, maybe something that's going on within, something that you've allowed freedom into your life that God does not desire for you. Maybe there's a habit or something that is developed because of an inward thing that's going on inside of you. I pray that today you will pursue him. You will pursue God's presence that he might renew you and strengthen you inwardly so that Ephesians 3.20 says that now to him who is able to do immeasurably and abundantly more than we could all ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you've given us the knowledge and the wisdom of the mysteries of your kingdom, that you have sent your only son into the world. You have become human flesh. You've lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life, and you offered that life on Calvary's cruel cross that our sins might be forgiven. Oh God, and we have assurance and confidence in what you've done for us and for our eternal security. But oh God, while we remain... While we are here in the already but not yet, oh Lord, may we pursue you every day. God, may we be challenged and renewed every single day. Lord, may we seek after your holiness and your righteousness. Yes, we depend upon your grace when we mess up. Yes, we cry out for your mercy when we sin and when we make mistakes. But Lord, may we never be satisfied with anything less than your best. May we never be satisfied with anything less than the fullness of your presence. Give us a hunger for you, O God, that the world might be changed, that the nations might come to know you. Father, as we close this service, I pray your Holy Spirit minister and move in a way that only you can to every heart, to every family. God, we honor you. We worship you, King Jesus. We are sinners saved only by your grace of whom I am the chief. So God, I praise you, I honor you, I worship you in this house. In Jesus' name.